The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Before I get started this morning, we'd like to ask everybody to kind of move into the center of the aisle so that when visitors come, they may have a place to sit. <laughs> well, you know what? It's better be prepared, isn't it? When people find out what a wonderful time we're having here together on Sunday mornings at 1030, they'll come flocking in. Maybe you should tell them so that they'll know that we're waiting for them and we're prepared for them and we'll have a seat for them when they arrive. Well, the text that we're reading this morning is one that I, that I want to talk to you about because I know as I look around the building at the audience, I'm seeing Christians, people who believe, people who have come to the Lord and have given their lives to Him, given their souls to Him, given their hearts to Him, and are wanting to walk with him from now until the time that you die. You want to remain faithful. Now Jesus had confronted this man that was blind. And he had given him his sight back. And the man didn't even know who it was that did it. And when he was questioned about it, he, he actually had no idea. But Jesus then came to him again and confronted him when he had his sight and he told him, he said, go and sin no more unless a worse thing come upon you. Okay. Our, all of our eyes have been opened. His eyes were opened. He knew where he was at that point, physically, geographically. He recognized where he was standing. And he may have recognized where he was standing before God. He may have recognized that as well. I'm not sure. But we are. We know where we stand before God. Our eyes are open to God. Our eyes are open to the Lord. Because we have been drawn to God, to the Father, by Jesus, by our faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Our faith has moved us to repentance. As Jesus said, except you repent, you shall always likewise perish. And as Peter preached, he said, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And confessing that we believe that He is the Christ, we have been baptized into Jesus for the remission of our sins, and we have risen to walk in newness of life. All of us have. Those in the, in the range of the sound of my voice, I hope, although some people will be listening to this remotely, and they'll be hearing what I'm saying, and, and they may or may not have done what you have done. They may, not, may or may not have surrendered themselves to Jesus Christ. But our eyes have been opened. 
Our eyes have been opened to Jesus, to the new world with him, and we have been washed from our sins and we're walking anew with him. Now, Paul expressed it this way. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 through 11, he says, Don't you know that the righteous, that the unrighteous, shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you're washed, but you're sanctified, but you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. He's saying this is what you were before, but now you're different. Okay. You're in a new world. You have new goals. You have new hearts. You have new spirits. You have new standards. You have new friends. You have new hopes. Okay. But what happens to you, what happens to me, if I look back on my old way of life? Now, Jesus told this young man, he was fairly young, he was in his 40s, I believe. He told this man, go and sin no more, lest the worst thing happen to you. But what happens to me? And I want you to be able to tell your friends, you may have friends who have done exactly what we're going to talk about right now. They've turned their back on Jesus and walked back into the world. Not just committed a little sin here and there, not just stumbled along the way, but just turned around and walked back, left the Lord. So that's, that's what's happening here. Jesus said, go and sin no more, lest the worst thing happen to you. What if, after we've been washed from our sins and after we've stepped into the new world, we decide, like Lot's wife did, to look back. Now, she just didn't turn around and look back on the fire. That's not what he was saying. She was looking back with regret that she left that house, that home, that life behind her. It wasn't just a simple matter of don't look, don't, don't look at the fire. It was a matter of don't regret where you're going. Lot took his two daughters and his wife with him, and she decided she didn't want to go. She wanted to go home. She wanted to go back. What happens when we want to go back into our old life like Lot's wife did? What happens if I grow weak and I yield to temptation like Judas Iscariot did? He was with Jesus for three and a half years. And he knew all the ins and outs of the kingdom that Jesus was teaching. And yet he decided he wanted his old way of life of thievery back. And he saw a great opportunity, and I'm sure he had all these calculations in his mind. He thought, well, if he's really the Christ, nothing can happen to him. If he's not, why not make a little money off of it? And so for 30 pieces of silver, he betrayed the Lord of glory. What if I decide it's not worth it for me? There's, there's more to it than my old life, and I'm going to go back to that and forget the new one. What happens if I deny my faith when I'm in the company of those who denigrate Jesus and who mock him and who mock my faith like Peter did? Remember Peter was told, he said, Jesus said, before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, if everybody denies you and goes back, not me, Lord, but what happened? 
he went back. He denied Jesus in the company of those who were mocking him. What if I just quit church and I start associating with others instead of Christians and I, I want to associate with someone who's not trying to honor God through Christ like Demas did. Paul was writing the book to his young protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, and he was rehearsing all the things that had happened to him and all those who were standing with him. And he said, but Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. He went back. What happened if we go back? Do you know anybody that's gone back? What, happened if I, what happens if I give up in discouragement? Like those, remember, who followed Jesus after they had been fed, the 5,000, or the 4,000 actually, they went around the, the uh, north end of the Sea of Galilee to, to find Jesus when they found him, and he began to talk to them about some really important things, about how they had to be all consumed by him, and he had to be all consumed by them, John chapter 6. And he said, you have to... You have to imbibe me. You have to take me and you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And it says they went, they went back. They didn't want to follow. What happens if I go back if it gets too tough? What happens if I quit? Did Jesus provide for failure? Did he provide for some way for you to get back after you do this? Did Jesus comp contemplate that there would be dropouts People just drop out of the faith. Look around you. You remember some people that here before, they've dropped out. They just dropped out. I was a dropout at one time. I tried to drop back in. Was that possible? Could I do that? Could you do that? Could your friend do that? Could your family member do that? Is salvation in Jesus a one-off? Have you heard that expression? One-off? If you're savvy like I am with the internet and social media and so forth, then you know that a one-off means it only happened one time won't happen ever again. It's just one time. Is your salvation a one-off? means one when you drop out, you that's it. No way back, no way home. Nothing can be done. When you mess up, are you out on your ear? Are you through? Does God say, I've shut the door, don't, don't come knocking? back. It's just shut. Now we're not talking about just a little stumble here and there. We're talking about someone who actually turns their back and says, I, I'm through with this life. I'm going back. I'm, I'm leaving. That's what we've been talking about. Okay. Some folks, some religious folks have actually developed a whole religious theory about this because it bothers them down to the bottom of their soul. They think, well, that's, this can't really happen. When a person comes to Jesus, there's no way possible that that person can ever leave again. That's called once saved, always saved. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Sounds like, well, if, if God can save you, then he can just keep you and you can never get away. You can't go back. They've, they've called this once saved, always saved because it teaches that the saved individual cannot possibly fall from the grace of God through sin. It's comforting to those who, who want to believe that they can't stumble and fall, but it's inconsistent with the Scriptures. The Scriptures repeatedly warn us not to sin. 
We're always told not to sin. Now, if, if you cannot sin, and the, you know what? The New Testament books were not written for those who are not Christians. They're written for those and to those who were Christians. Okay. So Paul is saying in the book of Galatians to the church at Galatia, to Christians, he's saying, stand fast in the liberty where Christ has made us free and don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, if they could, could not be entangled again, why is he warning them about it? You see what I'm saying? I'm trying to be plain about this. Colossians 1.23, Paul said, if you continue in the faith, what do you mean, if you continue in the faith? Is it contingent upon me continuing, or do I have to just continue whether I want to or not? Well, he says, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and don't be removed away from the hope of the gospel. Don't be removed. So don't go away. Well, why warn someone that they should not go away if they couldn't go away? You see? Which you have heard, which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereby I, Paul, have made a minister. Hebrews 10.26 says, If we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. Well, that's a tough text. But it means that when you, when you quit, and you quit determined, and you're determined you're never coming back, that may be it for you. May it be it for me. But anyway, he said you can. You can. And he warns against it. 1 Peter 2 at verse 11, Peter said, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the flesh, against the soul. And John said in 1 John 2, 1, My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. Don't sin. He said, don't sin. He said, if we do, though, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. But he's saying, don't sin. So the, the scriptures urge us not, not to sin. Don't sin. Well, if you could not sin if you wanted to, why the warning? Okay. The scriptures also urge us not to fall away. Don't fall away. If we couldn't fall away, then these warnings also are meaningless. 1 Corinthians 9.27, here's what Paul said. You'd think of all people, this writer of the New Testament, he wrote 13 books in the New Testament, maybe 14. He wrote these books, and now he's saying, you know, I have to be careful because I could stumble and fall away. That's what he said. Now, if he could, I know I could too. 1 Corinthians 9.27, he said, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. He said, I have to be very careful. Galatians 5 verse 4, he says to the Galatians, he said, Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever you have justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Oh, he said, some of you, you can't fall off of something if you're not on it. You can't fall off of this chair, this pew, if you're not standing up on top of it or sitting on it. You can't fall out of it if you're not there. You can't fall off the top of a car if you're not standing up there precariously. You can't fall out of grace if you weren't there to start with. So he said, you that are justified by the law, you fell out of grace. You fell. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 and 13 says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, but exhort one another and daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened lest any of you be hardened. He said, take heed, 
lest he be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now the scriptures inform us also, specifically, that some had already fallen. Which means, which actually puts the lie to this theory, once saved, always saved. Because these people had been saved, and now they became lost again. Okay. Some had been saved, and some became lost. They, they fell. Listen to the text in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. He says, Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Okay. If you couldn't depart, how does he say that some will depart? You see the point? Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God had created, to be received with thanksgiving of them that know and believe the truth. So Paul said some will. In 2 Peter 2, verse 14 and 15, Peter said they have eyes full of adultery. They cease not from sin, having unstable souls, a heart they have exercised with covetous practices, their cursed children. And then, in the book of Revelation, in chapter 2, mentioning the seven churches of, of Asia, the church at Ephesus, Paul said, or John said, remember from whence you are fallen. He actually talks to the people that had fallen. He said, remember from whence you have fallen and repent. Okay. Now, Hebrews 6, verse 4 through 6 says, it's impossible for those who are once enlightened have tasted the heavenly gift were made partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucified themselves the Son of God afresh, put them to an open shame. As long as a person stands in that situation, as long as a person denies Jesus, as long as a person recognizes that Jesus is not their God, not their Savior, as long as they stand apart from God and are unwilling to be moved. It's impossible for you or me to move them to repentance. We can't do that. Our concern in this text is this. We know that we're flesh and blood and we do trip up daily. Maybe even hourly. We make mistakes. Sin is a mistake. It's a misstep. It's a misadventure. We know that we're weak when we sin. What we need to know is, is there any way back when we sin, accidentally, or when we sin deliberately? Now listen carefully. Because there is such a thing as sinning deliberately. Just looking God in the face that word, as it were and say, I don't care, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to go back like... Lot's wife, I'm going to go back. I'm just going to quit. That question presses on our hearts. Can we return to God after we've been washed in the blood of Jesus and then we leave Him? We know one thing. Before I get too heavy in this. We know one thing. Jesus won't leave us. And He won't leave us alone. He won't quit on us. We can quit on Him 
He won't quit on us. Take heed in that. Take heed, take heed, take heed. He will not quit. We can turn loose, but He won't turn loose. We can run, but he, we can't hide from Him. Okay. Here's the text. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He will not turn loose of you. You can turn loose of Him, but He will not let go of you. If you're dangling over a precipice and He's got you by the hand, you have to turn loose. He won't. You have to let go. He won't. You have to cut the rope. He won't let it go. He will not turn loose of you. But you can turn loose of Him. What if you do? Here's where I want to get to in this lesson. What if you turn loose? What if you struggle to free yourself from the love of Jesus? And you do it. You, 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 you turn loose. You know the expression when a person wants to break off with someone else, they say, well, it's not you in this relationship. It's me. It's me. Well, it is me. It's never going to be Jesus. He's never going to turn his back on me. But I can turn my back on him. But the question is, after I realize what I've done, can I come back? Is it possible? Now that text we read in, in Hebrews chapter 6 looks bad, doesn't it? It's impossible to renew them again under repentance. That looks bad. However, we have to look, and here's what we're going to do. The Old Testament was a, was a series of examples for us. Examples. The, the Old Testament was written, as a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6, and verse 11 says, These were examples unto us, that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. They were examples. Okay. So what happened was that God set forth some examples for us to learn from. About what? Not about ourselves. Not about Israel. When I look back and look at Israel and what all they did, you know, it sometimes disgusts me and sometimes it makes me happy and sometimes it confuses me. But you know what? When I'm looking at the Old Testament, what I should be looking at, not in what they did, but what God did. There's what I need to look at. I need to see what God's reaction was. I need to see how He looked at it and what He thought and how He... How he Viewed the situation. Okay. Got it? So what I want to look at at this point is, I want to look at the character and the nature of God. Not me. Him. Okay. What about repeat offenders? Okay, I quit sinning, but I'm like a criminal. I've gone to court, and the court and the judge has said, okay, you're guilty and you're Send us to 10 years in prison. So he sends me to prison. And the jury pronounces me guilty. And they, then they, they set the sentence. The sentence is 10 years. 
And so I go to prison, and during the time I'm in prison, I've been a bank robber, by the way. I've been stealing all my life, and I got caught. Now then, I'm sent there to rehabilitate me, okay? I should be changing. Just like when you're baptized into Christ, you should be rehabilitating, right? You should be getting over your old sins. Quit stealing. That's what I read 1 Corinthians 6 about earlier. Such were some of you, but you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You used to be a, an adulterer, you're not anymore. You used to be a, a thief, you're not anymore. You used to slander, you're not anymore. Okay, I'm a thief, I've gone to, I'm, I've gone to prison, I come back, but I'm, I'm a recidivist. When I get out, what do I do? I start picking pockets again. Why? Because I'm a thief at heart. Okay, I do it again and again and again and again. What happens to a Christian that's a recidivist? I just keep doing the same old things. I'll do them over and over and over and over. I don't seem to be able to quit. But God has asked me to quit. Okay, but I haven't. Now then, how does God deal with me? I finally get to the point that I say, Lord... What now? You told me not to sin, but I did it again. Can I come back and get forgiveness? Am I a sin addict? I just can't seem to quit it. Am I a slow learner? Can I get the point? Don't I know that the life I have with Jesus is a better life altogether? Don't I get it? Will God tolerate me? Can I come back? So what I do is I look in the Old Testament. I say, okay, Lord, how did you treat those recidivists in the Old Testament? How did you treat those folks? Did you just say, okay, I'm going to brush you off. You're, you're through. You're done. Is that what you did? Well, I look at Psalms 86 and verse 15 and I say, okay. The text says, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. Long-suffering. Did God put up with people that just kept repeating their sins? Did he? He did, didn't he? Numbers 14, verse 17 through 19. Moses is offering a prayer, and Solomon offered about the same sort of prayer. Second Chronicles chapter 6. But here's, here's what Moses said. He said, And now I beseech you, he's talking to the Lord, let the power of my Lord be great according as he has spoken, saying the Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty. In other words, he's not going to just sweep it aside and say, okay, you sinned, so what? Just nothing. He doesn't clear the guilty. You have to take some steps. You've got to repent. You've got to come back and say, Lord, I want to do better. Anyway, he said he visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation. So whatever you do, it's probably not going to stop here. It's going to affect your children and your grandchildren and your progeny all down. So be careful what you're doing. Be sure you're doing the right thing. He said he'll visit the iniquity. He'll, in other words, he, he, he looks down the road and he says, I can see the effects of what you're doing way down here. He sure he could. Moses said, Pardon, I beseech you, the iniquity of this people according unto the greatness of your mercy, 
And as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. So Moses is standing. He, he brought the children of Israel out and they were, they were at the mountain and they'd received the law and so forth and they'd had problems. But now then, they had problems from that time forward and for 40 years, they tested the patience and long-suffering of God. And you know what Moses said? He said, he said they tempted you 10 times, 10 different times. Well, I don't know how many times we can tempt him and get by with it, but I do know that when I, I decide, and I'm, let's just say I've turned my back on God, now I want to come back, and I'm saying, Lord, you know how many times I've done this. Are, are you long-suffering with me? Can I come back? Romans 9.22 says, What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? Is there a breaking point with God when he says, That's enough. That's enough. I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that he's long-suffering. And so when I'm talking to someone who's turned their back on God or when I've turned my back on God, I do know I look back at the character of God and, and think, well, Lord, I know you were long-suffering with Israel. So I know you're long-suffering. I know that. And then I do know also that he's forgiving that he will forgive. If I ask him, he will forgive. I know that. You say, well, how, how many times? How many times can I come to God and ask him because I'm doing the same old things over and over and over? Well, why don't you stop? Well, I'm trying. Maybe, maybe I'm dismissing it. I don't know. But anyway, I know I've done it again. Please forgive me. I know God is forgiving. You know how I know that? Because Matthew 5 verse 48 tells us that God expects me to forgive. And what's this? He expects me to forgive you. If he expects me to forgive you, what's he saying? Matthew 5 48 says, Be ye perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. He wants me to be like him. Which means if I can forgive, he can too. He forgives, and I can too. You get it? Do you follow what I'm saying? Matthew 18, verse 21 through 22. Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times? Jesus said unto him, I say not unto, you, unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Seventy times seven. And now Luke says it this way. In Luke chapter 17 and verse 4, he records it this way. He says, if your brother come to you and repent, you forgive him 70 times 7. Okay, if God expects me to repent 70 times, 490 times, how often will he forgive? Oh, now I'm feeling better about this. You know what? I'm feeling a lot better about this. I'm feeling better about the idea that God is long-suffering. He's long-suffering because I saw him in the Old Testament. And I saw what happened when they, those people turned away from him. And they did, time after time. In Second Chronicles chapter 6, it's stated so many times that 
that they, they, they left him. And then, as a matter of fact, he said, if, if the people, when they go into captivity even, after they have left you, Lord, and gone into captivity, when they turn back to you and ask for forgiveness, you will forgive and you'll return to them. Now I feel better. Do you? You should feel better for anyone who is not here this morning because they've turned their back on the Lord. He's still after them. He still wants them. He's still hanging on. Jesus is still hanging on. All they have to do, I don't care what they've done, all they have to do, from what I'm seeing, God will forgive them. He is long-suffering. He is patient. He wants them back. He wants me back when I leave. And he wants me to not sin. But when I do, he's going to forgive me. And he's going to patiently take care of me. There are two principles that, that uh, reach this conclusion for me. is long-suffering and repentance. If I fall away, I can come back. There's just one problem, and that is that, that sometimes my coming back and trying to get things right, I may read a, reach a roadblock. Now, God's not going to roadblock me. He's not going to say, no, you can't return. He's not going to say that. But there may be something that comes up in my life that keeps me from returning. Now, you know, you're sitting here, and you know what it might be with you. I know what it might be with me. But I do know this, that in Hebrews chapter 12, there was an illustration given of two, two brothers, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob had bartered with Esau when he was in the field, and, and uh, Esau had come in from hunting, and Jacob was cooking a bunch of stew over open fire, I suppose. And Esau was hungry, and he wanted something to eat, and Jacob bartered with him. He said, I'll, I'll give, it, give you a mess of pottage, all you can eat. Probably uh, all you can eat. But he said, I, I want your birthright. Now that birthright was, was important and was valuable. Matter of fact, God blessed the firstborn of each one of his children through the lineage of Israel. But Esau bought it. Let Jacob buy it, I should say. And what happened was that when Esau came to claim his birthright with his father, Isaac, he came to his father, Jacob, he came to his father, Isaac, he came to claim that, reclaim that birthright. And, and Isaac had already given it to Jacob. And Esau was there wanting it back. And he couldn't get it. And the text says that he, he sought with much tears through repentance, but he couldn't get it. He couldn't get it back. You know, there may come a time in our life when we so do things, so mess things up in our lives, if we're not careful, that there are roadblocks that we can't get around. We just can't get back. We won't put them up, or he won't put them up, but we'll put them up. We'll roadblock ourselves. We'll make it such that we can't get back. We'll make it such that, that we can't get over them. It may be our ego maybe our pride, maybe our background, maybe a number of different things. It may be the difficulties that we've gotten ourselves into that we just don't believe there's any way possible that we can get out of it. So that's the only caution I would mention here. But I know this, 
that my God is long-suffering. He's patient with me. He'll wait for me to come back. And when I come back, he will forgive me. Tell that to your friends, your family that's walked away. They can come back. Watch out that you don't go too far, that you can't allow yourself to come back. Let's stand and sing our song of invitation.